and welcome to Food, Views and Big Ideas. I'm Tonya Barr. And I'm Lucy Allen. And this is the podcast from us here at Straight to the Source. In this podcast, we will be introducing you to the people who are driving our food and hospitality industry forward, whether it be on the land, in the water, in the kitchen, or from the boardroom. Each of our guests are playing a significant role in the evolution of Australia's food identity and culture, and we want you to know who they are, their views, and their big ideas. Hi, I'm Tanya, and today I'm in the studio with culinary influencer, corporate executive chef, international public speaker, and MC, TV presenter, and good friend, Chef Adam Moore. Well, hello, Adam. Welcome. Thank you, Tanya. It's great to be here. So you have had an incredible career as a chef, presenter, product developer. I mean, your CV is longer than my arm. So (laughs) it's kind of tricky. I'm not real sure where to start. How would you describe yourself today, sitting in here with me in 2023? Wow. Nearly a 30-year career. How do I explain myself? I uh, have done everything from being a chef. I'm a qualified pastry chef. Uh, qualified butcher, trained charcuterist. I'm an international judge in sensory. I'm a product developer, innovator. My world is very different and I do TV when I can. Um, I recipe create. I never stop. Uh, but one of the things I probably say is what drives me is that you know there's fantastic producers and farmers in this country and as a chef I get to cook that no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm creating a new product or whether I'm sitting in front of um, someone to create some new ideas for recipes. My day is different every day, and uh, I love being a chef. I, I love the hospitality world. It's like one big family, and what I love is seeing people like yourself who's been one a very long-time friend, uh, a great supporter of my career, and I'm very lucky that I can work with producers, farmers, chefs in this industry, and really be who I want to be. So when I put food on a plate, it's understanding the ingredient or understanding how the ingredient works. That's what drives me. And that's probably why I went and, you know, go, what's charcuterie? What's what's butchery? What's all these fun things? So that's me. Yeah. You've got an inquisitive mind. Yes. The charity and mentoring is stem back from when I was 13. I had very much very good mentors in my life. And um, a lot of people don't know, I do charity uh, from 13. Uh, between the ages of th- 13 and 18, I raised over $2 million. Was this a soup kitchen? Yes, yeah, so I started my own soup kitchen back in Penrith. Uh, I'm a western suburb Sydney boy yep. and started things like soup kitchens. I worked with uh, every everyone from Lifeline to Legacy, anyone that needed money. I worked with nursing homes. I had a full-time job at school while I was still at school and I was doing charity and I raised $2 million and when I was 18, got the Order of Australia, which uh, most people don't get until they're 60. And that really drove me. And because I had some great mentors, that what that's what helped me um, really not only mentor chefs, but people in the industry, businesses, but also now young kids that are going through mental health struggles. Is that what gets you up in the morning? Um, look, I, and I'll publicly say it, you know, when I was 13, I had some trauma in my life. I had a very good upbringing, but this trauma happened. 
and uh, got counselling and, and did all the right things, but that's what drove me. And charity and charity and mentoring has been something that's been a big part of my life. So when did you first start cooking? When was that first meal that you made and you thought, you know, I this is my career path, this is... So I almost didn't become a chef because of one dish. So I started cooking from a young age. I went to a co-ed Catholic school and we had uh, cooking uh, from that day. So one dish, I was so excited because I had a full-time job, I um, saved up and cooked the very first dish I learned how to cook. And you're going to laugh at this dish because it comes back and haunts me over the years. Okay, what is it? Apricot chicken. Now, I cooked it for my family. As I said, I'm from Penrith, and um, my family hated the dish so much that I almost didn't become a chef because of it. Now, let me ask you, did you get the recipe on the back of the apricot jam jar? (laughs) I think it was. It was a a recipe that was at school. I loved it. I thought the flavors were really cool. Um, My mum and dad and my brother at the time, my sister was too young, thought it was too foreign for them and they ordered pizza and that was the biggest insult I've ever had in my career. But uh, funnily enough, years later in corporate world, recipe development, number one dish was apricot chicken and it's come back and haunt me over the 30-year career. But I started young when I was cooking and at 16 I found a real passion. At 13 I knew what I wanted to be. One of three things, a chef which I definitely did, a teacher, which you are. I do now. Yeah. And I loved working in theatre and drama. I was in musicals. I don't sing now. But uh, all three of my careers are happening today. So I mentor kids, so teaching. I uh, am a chef and I work in the media and different uh, outlets. And how cool is that, that I could do the three jobs that I've always wanted to do? So that goes back to my very first question, and you've just answered it. Where from here? Great question. Um, you know, look, I think the next thing is my book. I want to, you know, I have a massive collection of yeah. books, um, six and a half thousand somewhere about, but I love books and I love, you know, books from all genres, uh, especially food books and food writers. So creating a book would be my greatest legacy. I have it there and it's ready, but I just need to find the right producer or the right uh, publisher to produce my book. So, um, Well, if anyone's listening out there and you're interested in producing Adam Moore's um, cookbook, his yes, very first cookbook, <laughs> please reach out. We will put all his details in the show notes, so um, <laughs> don't be shy. Thank you for that one. Yeah, that, that, I think that's where I want to go. Uh, I think as I've been doing more mentoring with kids with mental health, I see a big channel in that for me. I, Unfortunately, and you and I, we've been friends for a long time and you hear some of the stories that I go through. Uh, seeing some kids take their lives in, in you know, just in this environment has been the most stressful part of my career and I don't want to see any kid or any child or any young adult that is going through pain, I want to be able to help them. So I'm really... I think in the last two years really changed my mentoring focus, not just from chefs to anyone from a mental health space. And that's why I do a lot of uh, work in mental health charities as well as 
the other charities I work with. But I think, interestingly enough, hospitality and farming, you know, we work long hours, we work very stressful um, environments, it's not high paid. There is a lot of uh, depression and anxiety around the the industries we work in. Um, so that's why I see a relevation. What do you think the triggers are? Or what do you think the, the core reason would be? Well, uh, there's a lot of different ways we could look at it. Hospitality, we've got long hours, uh, short adrenaline periods where we can't burn that steam off. We're working hours that are public holidays or night times. There's no social outlet. Uh, farming's kind of the same thing. You're isolated mm-hmm. doing that. You, you've got timelines. Uh, social media is probably to blame a lot more because the issues are out there more often. We talk about these things. Um, and social media, I've seen evidence of that where people can be, you know, I'm not a massive profile, but on online people can reach out to you more easily mm. and people say some horrendous things. So if I'm getting it, imagine what these young kids are getting as well or people that are probably a little bit more vulnerable feeling in that space. Mm. I know we, we met years ago and you've been on many of our straight to the source tours. So we've traveled the country together. We certainly have. And, um, in doing that, it really does give you a different insight and a different kind of viewpoint from a farming point of view, but also it gives you an insight when you're on the road with other chefs. You can talk. You can can, talk. Yeah. We, we need to do that as a, not as a community, uh, reach out to our farmers because we have one of the harshest countries in the world to grow or produce anything. We go from one extreme where it be a flood or fire. Uh, we, we have so many different avenues in this country. So working with your farmers and producers, knowing if they're struggling, working with suppliers too, that, you know, during COVID, we lost a lot of staff with, um, people aren't buying as much. So working with people like that, plus also your local restaurants and cafes, Staff pressures, they've had to readapt. How do we, you know, get out there? You support them. You talk to them. If you know a farmer that you're, you're buying your meat off is not doing well or they're, they're, for some reason, aren't as sprightly as what they ask them, are they okay? Don't be afraid to, if you're in the kitchen, after service, go, hey, do you want to catch up for a drink? Do you want to talk? Um, there's plenty of opportunities to get out there and talk. And I think if we did that more we could understand what's happening in the industry. We could, uh, you know, and I think COVID, we actually started doing that more as a family because we realised hospitality was on its knees, farmers are trying to produce stuff and there's no, no far, you know, no produce going to a, a restaurant. Reaching out, and I think we did that very well. We reached out online. We didn't have to physically see people. Um, there's farmers that I ring regularly from all different, uh, you know, backgrounds and talk to them and just say, hey, how are you doing? And, uh, oh, you know, things are happening or they're not happening. It's it's going back to that human connection. Correct. Yeah. Now, what advice have you received throughout your career that you've really just held close to your heart? What a question. Um, look, I had a lot of young mentors, a lot of mentors in my life. And the one thing I think I learned from all of them was giving back. And that's something I love doing. Yes, you can be the greatest chef in, in your restaurant or your field, but if you're not giving back, then what value are you creating? Where are you going with that? And 
I've kept that mantra all my life. It's something that I love doing. Um, sometimes you do get taken advantage of in that, but I've also been very strong in there and I love, I love giving back. Well, in your career, do, have you been taken advantage of? And uh, if so, why? Lots of times because I am a nice guy. I look, I'm not trying to, I just love, I don't, I don't say no, that's probably a hard thing. But one of the things I love doing is understanding what makes people work and then helping where I can. Um, so one of the charities I do work for, Kill Cancer, uh, it's one of my favourite charities to work for at the moment. Originally when I joined Kill Cancer, I knew of people that had cancer. Um, since joining Kill Cancer and doing a lot of work, we're working with researchers and doctors, which is amazing. Uh, I've now known lots of people and it's come very close into my environment. So my father, for example, uh, with prostate cancer, just seeing friends with uh, breast cancer, um, people with uh, different cancers, and it really affects you. And one of the things, taking that advice is giving back. I've been able to, with Cure Cancer, not only work with doctors and researchers to understand where the money's going and what they're doing, and I'm a chef, but working in this space, I'm also a scientist and I'm looking at things differently. So understanding where I can put value for the, the researchers, but also from a, you know, a people just being generous. Um, I've been in wards with cancer patients that have got days to live. Um, I've sat next to people when they've passed on and I don't want to get emotional, but this is just, those little moments of giving back, it may not be important to me, but it's important to the person that I'm dealing with. It's remembering that everyone's human. You don't know what people's story is, whether it be cancer, whether it be mental health, just go and appreciate what's around. And I think as I've taken my journey over the years, I've been more reflective as I've gotten older, that looking at what's out there, being appreciative of what I've already got and taking, you know, not taking things for granted, appreciating a farmer, you know, going on farmer tours with you, uh, understanding, you know, understanding things like simple things like salt, how, you know, the air, um, where did we go? The Grampians. Grampians. Yeah. It was amazing. Just to. Mount, uh, it was uh, Lake Dimbula. Yeah. And then we also went to. Um, Olson. South Australia and yeah. Olson's and Alex Olson. You know, mm-hmm. I I wouldn't have met some of these people and know that, you know, we've got a great Australian sea salt or we've got, you know, amazing oysters produced in, in this country or, you know, uh, kingfish that you see. Some of the producers, I've been very privileged. And, you know, even in Adelaide, you've got people like prawn oil and lobster oil, which is phenomenal products. Understanding these products, truffle tours with you, you really get to appreciate what we've got. And we need to hear that more and talk about it more. Stop buying stuff from overseas. Let's buy local, buy Australian. Be proud of who we are. We also have a wealth of Indigenous uh, products. I've also been very privileged in my career to work with Indigenous people, Indigenous students, and encourage um, Indigenous businesses, which is amazing because we should be very proud that, you know, I'm a a third-generation Irish person that's lived in Australia. I was born here, but 
our indigenous is the oldest culture in the world. You know, middens uh, near your place uh, in the national parks, that uh, middens are the rubbish tips with the oysters, uh, where the Aboriginal people have been eating them for 50,000 years, the oldest culture in the world. And this country needs to be proud of our Indigenous heritage, our Indigenous colleagues, um, and really be supportive. We've, I think we're the Walking only country... side by side. Correct. We need to be one... It is one country. It is Australia. Yes, it's made up of an eclectic mix of people from around the world, but... We don't celebrate our Indigenous, you know, heritage or the Indigenous culture of Australia that has been around for 60,000 years. As you know, Tonya, that, you know, bread, uh, has been discovered in outback New South Wales, bread making tools by the Indigenous culture, which predates Egyptian by 20,000 years. The Egyptian records saying, Hey, we're the first bakers. Well, no, you're not. Actually, the native Indigenous of Australia were the first in the world to be the bakers. That is fascinating. From a product development point of view, creating products for consumers, do you look at Australian native ingredients? Very good question. Um, so my background with the corporate world or product development is oh. I fell into it by accident. I started with Mars. How do you fall into it by accident? You, I started as a sales role, oh. very different. Uh, so Mars was uh, more about the sales and um, you just fall into product development. And I actually loved it because I wasn't just taking my food from restaurant days uh, or hotel days. I was now cooking, instead of cooking for hundreds of people, I was cooking for millions of people. So product development was great because I did Mars, I did uh, Campbell Arnott's, I forget some of the companies I worked for, uh, George Western Foods, which was bread and small goods. So all my careers have all fallen into, I worked for Suntory, Kraft Heinz, some of the biggest global companies. And I was very lucky as a corporate chef to persuade trends and insights of what people were eating and the consumer and end user, how they would look at food very differently. So understanding and then user putting in a combi or a sous vide or how they would use it, uh, how they would put it on a menu. Whereas a consumer, how do I, what ingredients do I put at home? Is it simple to, to execute? You know, I've got to feed kids. I've got all that sort of stuff. So you've got a different mindset. Creating products in Australia with Australian ingredients is something we need to all do. Um, some of the biggest brands in our country today, um, Gravox, started in 1917, which is interesting. Gravox started when UK had a stranglehold called OXO in Australia and Gravy, OXO, Gravox become an Australian brand. And yeah. Vegemite was the same thing. Uh, Vegemite 1901, uh, 1911, sorry. And uh, Vegemite was originally called Parwill. If Parwill, Marmite. Um, so taking on the Marmite that was already out there, and Vegemite really come into its own. And there is a lot of iconic Australian brands today. Uh, Davis Gelatin, which is now owned uh, by an international German company. Davis Gelatin was in Botany. Uh, it was one of the largest in the world. And we were one of the biggest gelatin makers, which also spurned other industries like Kodak Film, um, things like that. So really interesting. If you get into Australian history on food is my, you know, mm -hmm. Harold Holt actually, even before he disappeared, had a massive food company called Tendico. 
Antenico was uh, about Australian products making Australian uh, Australian manufacturing for Australian products. So some of the biggest brands in the world uh, are iconic Australian brands that were located here, that were made here. Things like Kiwi Boot Polish, global shoe polish company that was made here in Australia. It's not food, but it's interesting that we had so many great brands here that have gone international and people don't realise how great we have and how lucky it is. So I've been very privileged to develop products that have an Australian focus. I've been very lucky to also incorporate Indigenous ingredients when I could. Some people don't always appreciate having Indigenous ingredients uh, because there's a lack of understanding. But we've had you know periods where in the 80s and the 90s, we had Edna's Table, we had some amazing restaurants featuring Australian uh, food. But one of the interesting things is I think Australian Indigenous food is underplayed here in this market, A, because people just don't know enough about it, and B, I think people don't understand that it's probably some of the original superfoods. Um, incorporating lemon myrtle or wattle seed, which has now been done, um, there is an appreciation to it, but understanding it more. And I think also understanding we grow some of the best fruit and vegetables in the world. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of Asian ingredients, uh, Asian greens and things like that are also grown and exported to, to Asia again because we have the space to do it. We have climates that can grow all year round, so we can have pineapple all year round. Uh, using more of that and understanding what we have and being appreciative of the ingredients that we have access to uh, and also the manufacturing platforms that we have in this country, some of the heritage, the history, even CSR Sugar started in Piemont, and it's now one of the biggest building manufacturers. Right? Yeah, it started in Piemont. Okay. Um, or their biggest plant was here and it was Sugar Refinery. Uh, it's no longer, so it is CSR Sugar, but it's CSR's building materials, which started here in Australia. So we're in uh, innovative ingenuity uh, kind of country, you know, some of the best inventions in the world uh, that we use every day, like the bionic ear, the black box on an aeroplane, all Australian inventions. Wi-Fi is an Australian invention. No way. Yes. Google Maps was in, created by three Sydney guys, or sorry, two Melbourne guys and a Sydney guy. Well, when we talk about innovation and you think about um, mind-bending combinations that have happened in the culinary sense, does anything come to mind? I think of the cheeseburger spring roll, but... Oh, I love it. That was... Who who had the claim to fame for that? Dan Hong? I'm not sure. I don't Um, know. I think think we stay away from that one. (laughs) Well, uh, look, a lot of Australian chefs have really led the charge on things. So Bill Granger has been attributed to, to smashed avocado mm-hmm. on uh, <laughs> cafe menus. Sorry. Um, yeah, so Bill Granger in there. Uh, I think uh, people still appreciating what kangaroo means to them. Uh, kangaroo is the healthiest meat you could ever eat. It's got uh, low triglycerides that, you know, help uh, heart release. So things like that. But I think, um, if we really have to go there, there's two iconic dishes globally that were both invented in Australia and unfortunately invented in Melbourne. No offence to Melbourne uh, listeners, but um, spaghetti bolognese. I was going to say, what are they before they take offence? Yeah, so spaghetti bolognese, the recipe that we know today is not truly Italian. It is a dish that was created in about 1954 in Melbourne. All right, what's the recipe? The recipe, the I don't recipe, know the recipe, you know? but I know that 
the other dish that was created in Melbourne is the dim sim. These are iconic dishes that are internationally famous that were created here in Australia. So, hang on, spaghetti bolognese As is we know, Italiano. No, so ragu, uh, bolognese uh, or bolognese, the, mm. the region, it's a very different product. Here, what we know as spaghetti bolognese that was, uh, I'm pretty sure it was 1954. Okay, but we're going to fact check this, but that's No, I can tell you. <laughs> don't that, need to. I've got no, yeah. in the studio. <laughs> but people don't realise that Australia has been very – Yeah. Another iconic one that may be debatable is the Chico Roll. It was created by Simplot. Right. In uh, near Bro- uh, not Broken Hill, um, Bathurst. The Chico Roll was created in – actually, no, Chico Roll was created in Melbourne and was made in Bathurst. Okay. I think we could have a trivia, well, we a trivia game on the end of this um, podcast. Wow. All right. So those what two about dishes. The pav? What about the Pav? Pav. Is it Australian or New Zealand? I'm going to go with Australian. It, well, it's it's a bit of both. And there's a lot of iconic dishes in Australia. Um, so let's talk about PAV first and let's dispel that. PAV could technically be three countries. What three countries do you reckon the Pavlova could be French. from? French? No. Oh. So definitely. New Zealand and Australia. New Zealand and Australia is probably the biggest debate. And Russian, because it was named after Anna Pavlova, who was a Russian ballet. Ballerina. Yeah, she was a ballerina and uh, she's Russian. So there is a town in Russia where Anna Pavlova come from and they celebrate this lovely iconic recipe of Pavlova. The debate goes that, yes, it was created in Australia. Sorry, New Zealand listeners. But it was by a New Zealand chef who was residing in Melbourne. Again, Melbourne, lots of iconic dishes uh, that created the Pavlova, and it's in honour of Anna Pavlova, and a lot of people don't know that, so technically three countries can claim it, but it was here in Australia, in Melbourne. Yes, there's lots of ref- – and, and people can check with me. There's lots of references between Australia and New Zealand who created it first. I've got a lot of different references that can show that. But it's interesting. You can take that too. Uh, if we look at Auguste Escoffier, who was kind of the grandfather of modern cooking as we know it, created a dish after an Australian opera singer. What dishes were they? Peach Melba and Melba Toast. After Dame Nellie Nelba, who was an iconic Australian opera singer that went global. And Auguste Escoffier created Peach Melba, which was technically like a a, a, a meringue uh, swan with peaches and raspberry coulis. And then Melba toasters, those tiny little mm-hmm. toasts that were for canopy functions, but they're named after iconic Australians. I'll be darned. What about the lamington? Let's, have you t- thought about the lamington? That's Australian. That is Australian. Do you know who created that? I do not. So the lamington was created in Queensland. We moved a little <gasps> bit higher. Okay, yep. I think I do know this, but continue, please. Lord Lamington was the Governor General for Queensland and... Lord Lamington, uh, who to the day he died, hated the name Lamington and hated the dish named after himself. <laughs> but he had a chef that created the product who was married to a Tahitian wife. I and- do know this. And you know why? 
You've told me this I've before. I've told you. i tell you this oh, random man. facts. All right. Yeah, that's right. So the Tahitian wife is important because she used to dry coconut at home. And one day the, the rumor has it that the chef come or Lord Lamington arrived and wanted all these guests and they had stale cake, stale sponge cake, and he soaked it in chocolate, used the coconut and served it up at a, a, a function. Lord Lamington was outraged. And for some reason that's been attributed to him, the Lamington. It's iconic. You and I have friends with Eddie and Min at uh, Tokyo Lamington. And uh, that beautiful uh, spongy cake that is so iconic, it was named after people. And people forget that so many iconic dishes that we eat today have a great history. And I think we like the indigenous culture talking about, you know, their heritage and their culture and telling the stories. We need to do that with food and be mm. proud of Australian cuisine. What does Australian cuisine mean? Um, you know, and it's interesting. Australian cuisine is an eclectic mix of global, international countries that have all come together and had some impart on the knowledge of this land and what we eat. And we're probably one of the luckiest countries in the world to have seafood and you know, this beautiful beef and lamb that we have, to have the most beautiful vegetable produce and some of the most wonderful producers that you and I have mm. you know, seen and met and and talk to regularly, and probably a lot of your listeners. Mm, absolutely. Well, when you think about culinary trends, and I was talking to a farmer on the weekend, and he was saying that often chefs will, you know, ask him to grow specific vegetables and what have you, or harvest at a particular time because they want them at a particular size. What food trends have you seen have been your favorite over the last, let's say, 30 years? Can you pick like five of your favorite food trends? Five of my favorite food trends. Okay, the first one I can say is definitely black garlic. I think, uh, you know, seeing lots of chefs use it. Now, Frank Faulkner from EXP in Hunter Valley, uh, having his own black garlic. There's lots of other producers now. Garlicicious. Have you tried the pearls? I love that. How great is black garlic? I think it's a wonderful find that we've always had. I also think indigenous ingredients, like if we really get into it, seeing finger lime now on menus, seeing, uh, you know, lemon myrtle and, you know, all those fun things come across. I think indigenous ingredients is definitely, it's going to be the trend for the next five years because internationally, uh, it's got more recognition than what it does here in Australia. And I think people should be very proud or understand, you know, how to use those ingredients. Okay. Now, um, Oh, I, I think if you really look at it, I would say um, I'd, I, one of the things I, you introduced me to was the Akoya oyster. Not an invention, but a fantastic little oyster. It looks like a scallop between a mussel, um, oyster. Grow, grows like a mussel on a line. Yeah, yeah. Um, fascinating. And I I was introduced only, what, what, two years ago or a year ago? A year ago, yeah. A year ago with you. Uh, I think it was fantastic that it come from Lewin Coast uh, and the history of it. For those of you that don't know where Lewin Coast is, it's in Albany, uh, Western Australia. Sorry, I forget. Yeah. Geographically. <laughs> Um, I think that's a really cool find to find something that's so new that chefs can use. And, and then after, you know, being introduced to it, seeing it on restaurant menus and people being very proud of it. So I think that's really cool 
in there. Uh, we're up to three. I'm really stuck now. I- so maybe I could reframe the question. Yes. What about when you look at um, value adding and innovation? What what we've noticed quite a bit in the producers that we work with is we're helping them think outside the box on how to to perhaps create another brand or another income stream. And, you know, green garlic comes to mind. There's a wonderful producer who who's created, uh, you know, uh, granules and powder and the green garlic. And that pile to to win gold medal. Yes. Sydney Royal. Royal. Yeah. Sydney Mm -hmm. Royal. Uh, A beautiful way of producing a great product and show them or in abundance as well and getting chefs it, that is a new culinary find so it's something that was quite different when we, when I first tasted it the intensity the uh, diversification of usage was just like oh wow I, what if I put that on top of an oyster or what if I put this on uh, you know a beautiful side of beef you know you could finish as a finishing ingredient or an actual hero ingredient in things like mayonnaises or sour cream that was phenomenal so when a a producer can find a product uh, inventing doesn't mean reinventing the wheel inventing means looking at a product and how many other ways can i use that product or you know what's not out there how do i you know how do i change that into something that's oh wow you know um i've seen chefs do things like oh Here's Vegemite, but I'm going to make a Vegemite caramel that goes on a pavlova, for example. That's pretty inventive, you know, because you're looking at something differently and you're pairing it really nicely. The, um, the garlic's a great example. Finding ways of, you know, creating a better or a new product that people can go, oh, wow. Mm. Um, you know, goat. Uh, yes, people don't eat goat in Australia, but goats consumed in lots of different countries around the world. And I love things about, um, you know, Jo Stewart and I have arguments about goat all the time and uh, she's the gourmet goat lady and it's amazing because she's now got this smoked goat. And one of the best things, I was up on the farm with her and she made breakfast and it was smoked goat and pickles on a toasted sandwich for breakfast. It was ingenious for me because I'm like, wow, smoked goat. It's so different. Have you tried the beef bacon? I love beef bacon. Oh, my gosh. Claystone Meats down near Canberra. Beef bacon, people, if you're listening, it's absolutely beautiful. And, and again, it's just not necessarily reinventing the wheel, but creating, being inventive. Yes, and looking at what wonderful resources that you have Mm. and how do you do, you know, what do you do? Uh, Exactly. It's it's interesting when you think about – all the different turns your career can make from being a chef. Yes. You know, I, I don't work in a restaurant. My my career has evolved over the years. And yours, when you look at from when you were in the soup kitchen to where you are today, and the extraordinary experience that you can't put a price on and you can't, you, you value it, but the experience that you've had through every facet of your career choices has really brought you to where you are today. A lot of artisans, a lot of great people. Um, this, you know, everyone from uh, Macca Knives who does the knife rolls. The still on my like, bucket list. Still in your brother. bucket list. Oh, <laughs> I've got a beautiful knife yeah, roll I know from you Macca. Do. Yeah. Um, right through to people like uh, Dog Boy Knives in South Australia, who creates beautiful tools for chefs. Uh, right through to producers, everything from a, a farmer and producer, like whether it be. The dairy that I'm using, the meat that I'm using, uh, Australian products are phenomenal. And yes, 
to get to work, meet we meet you, meet some of the chefs in this country. And I wouldn't have, you know, I've had the best career ever. And I would wouldn't change it's a still thing. Still going. It's still going. I haven't finished yet. I'm not dying yet. But I've met wonderful people, wonderful, wonderful people that work hard in this country. It's the reason why Australia is Australia. And I think hospitality is why it's such a great industry. So what advice would you give a young chef listening to this podcast? Yeah, so any young chef that is listening uh, and... Or can I can I reframe that? Yeah. Maybe not young chef, chef at any age going into the industry. Because there are a lot of folks that have career changes and they're, you know, they decide to be a chef and they're in their 30s, 40s, whatever. Anyone that comes into this industry, you're doing this for because you love food or there's something that attracts you about this industry. I think a lot of chefs I speak to say that they're creating memories for different people and you are creating memories. You don't realize that that person proposed over a dinner that you created or a dish that you created or it's someone's birthday or it's someone's, you know, you know, anniversary. We're creating memories, those moments. Those moments you don't get back. That's what we do. We serve our heart on a plate. If you're passionate about this industry, first of all, learn. Read up on as many different techniques as you can. Don't just Google. Understand what books. There's lots of books that don't have things that Google can't find. Um, there's LaRousse Gastronomic is a Bible that every chef should have in their collection. And even if you don't read the whole thing, if you read pages from it and understand, oh, that's what Chateaubriand is, or understand where a dish comes from, be proud of the, what you're using. Definitely get out there and know your farmers and producers. Go on farm tours. Go on straight to the source tours. Definitely go out there and see what it, what the ingredient is. Understand what black garlic is. Use it. Or if you've never used a lamb loin, go and buy one like we used to go in a David Jones food hall <laughs> and you buy the best piece of lamb rack or lamb loin and you go home and you cook it proudly or you put a new ingredient in there and you definitely be proud of it. Play with the food. Ask questions. Do not be afraid. You've got social media. Reach out to the chef that you want to reach out. Reach out to the producer or the farmer and ask questions. Um, sometimes you can also learn not only from them, but they can learn from you. Mm. So definitely get out there, read lots of things and experiment. Be proud of who you are. Listen to advice. There's so many great mentors and you and I know so many great chefs like Darren Templeman, a great friend of ours, uh, Sam Burke, uh, Vanessa Barnes, yourself, Tonya Barr. You have helped so many young people and young chefs not only in competitions, you've also ordered ingredients for people. This is what we're about. This industry is a great industry. I love it every day. I get out of bed every morning and I'm so happy to be a part of an industry that has farmers, producers, manufacturers, chefs, um, you know, wait staff, people that are in wine, uh, even the travel industry, which is a very big part of what we do. Um, Get there, network, keep that network. Mm. I probably have, and not being cocky, I have the best network around and I'm glad I do. And I can call on a farmer or, hey, I'm going to do a dinner, special dinner in a couple of weeks' time. Can I get your truffle? Can I get this ingredient? Smoked eggs, use those ingredients. This is what people should be doing, getting out there, 
learning from your LaRouche, asking questions, reaching out, and understanding and being proud of who we are as a country. Uh, if you're new to this country and you're a chef here, whether you're from Nepal, UK, US, wherever in the world, get to know the products and how you can use your culture and marry it with Australian ingredients. That's me. So what projects do you have in the pipeline now? Oh, good question. You, or goals. Maybe we talk about goals. Goals. Uh, so right now I'm working heavily in plant-based, which is a very different world for me. And uh, a lot of people may make fun of the plant-based, but it is food for future. I have been involved in things like cellular agriculture, which is fascinating by me and understanding how things work. I am very privileged to work across so many different little brands at the moment. I have created my own brands in the past. I've done my own beverage brand. And so maybe there's something in there coming up. I'm working on a couple of TV uh, pilots at the moment with some different people of things that are not being filmed. I, I love the the uh, media industry, so there's some things happening there. But right now I'm also on a massive weight loss journey. I have been losing a lot of weight. I've lost over 55 kilos so far and still losing. Uh, I was a pretty Your, your chef jacket here, Adam, is looking a little loose. <laughs> it's like a big dress, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah. Uh, so that is also opening new avenues for me. That's changing my direction. I will be in food as long as I, uh, I'm around. I think I'll be in food till the day I die. And whether that's supporting farmers, producers in some way or form or product developing in my own products, there is lots of options at the moment. But I will still focus on charity and mentoring and mentoring young people. Um, and that's something that's really driving me still. So there's all those opportunities. And if anyone wants to publish my book, that's the <laughs> – not plugging that. No, okay, do it. So this weight loss journey and this, this mindset shift, what is the catalyst for that? A couple of different things. Uh, look, in this industry, it's a little bit unhealthy. As we talked about mental health before, it is an unhealthy industry. Um, I didn't get fat from eating lots of food. I got fat from eating the wrong types of food at the wrong types of hours. Um, but what's interesting is I've had to change my whole mindset. It's family. It's been around for people for a long time. Um, young people that I've mentored that, you know, you need to be there for. Uh, that is important for me. Uh, my friends and family, the, the people that I love, that I that motivate me each day, and you're one of those fantastic people. We've got so many great people that have supported me in this journey. Uh, it was a big journey to take. It took me a long time. Not that I couldn't lose the weight before. I've you know really struggled. And I think mentally that's something that was always attributed to my past and it's always bounced up and down and back around. But I've made a clear decision. I'm going to do this. And it's interesting. The world does view you very differently. We we have an expectation on what people should look like. Uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, um, I'm seeing the good sides and bad sides of weight loss, which is amazing. Um, a great journey. I could write a book in that as well. Uh, but what I love is that I'm determined. I'm not going to give up. 
and it's probably the same focus I have as as a chef. Uh, I'm not going to give up. I'm here for the long term. Um, and thank you to anyone that ever supported me and has been that background noise um, to, to really push me to be the better person I am. Uh, yes, now I feel awesome that 55 kilos down, massive life-changing thing. Uh, I've even eliminated a lot of coffee, which is scary in my world. Um, but I'm healthy. So just to back up a bit, you yes. said being in hospitality is unhealthy. So did you mean it's unhealthy across the board or for you? It's both. It was um, definitely across the board, uh, long hours, yeah. eating the wrong things at the wrong time, yeah. uh, that sort of thing. Uh, but I've made a lifetime decision to be healthier, mm -hmm. a decision to be around longer as much as I can, to do the work that I'm still doing, to be around for my family and friends but also be around for producers and farmers. And, you know, I've got new things to invent. I've got new things to create. I've got new flavors to, to talk about. I'm not going away in a hurry. And now that my life is healthier and will get healthier as I keep doing it, I'm doing the things I've always wanted to do too. So, I'm fencing. I'm boxing. I was just going to say, how do you chill out? How do you rest? How do you relax? How do I chill out? Well, I read cookbooks and I listen to lots of music, uh, especially Australian music and uh, bands. I listen to a lot of vinyl. I'm a bit of a music nerd uh, when it comes to it. Uh, that's stuff that people don't know about what I do. And uh, it's been fascinating. And then I, the charity of mentoring is something that I really – look, I've done a – nearly a whole career just working in charity and working and mentoring young leaders and the next generation of our industry, which motivates me and it just relaxes me. I have a, a, you know, a wife and daughter, a beautiful daughter, um, who uh, is growing every, every day and you, you have been privileged to, to see my family. You're part of my family in that, in that space. And it's so wonderful to be doing the things that I, I really enjoy. Uh, I'm get, I've got things on my bucket list, fencing, for example, and fencing not as in putting up fences. Uh, if any farmer does need help, I'm happy say, to do that. Oh, my God, your <laughs> inbox would be full. Come on, yes. Adam. <laughs> <laughs> so fencing, it's a French art of sword fighting. I love that. I'm fascinated by that. Um, as I said, I want to write my book. Uh, who knows? I may even, uh, you know, join people on different things and runs and, uh, yeah, uh. different things. So I've got new energy. And what has also been great is the impact that, you know, yes, I'm positive about what I'm doing in my life and being healthy. Other people around me are also saying, Hey, I'll join you. And, you know, that's been really lovely to see people go, Oh, wow. If Adam's doing it, well, great, I'm going to do it as well. And if we all do that, it's all part of reaching out. It's like the Adam effect. You do have that. You definitely have <laughs> I've that. I've never heard that. <laughs> I just coined it. There thank you, you go. Very thank much. You. Adam effect. Adam, thank you. Thank, thank you, you so Tonya. much. If anyone wants to ever ask me a question, please reach out on social media. I'm always around. Yeah. I always help as many people as I can. I get to as many people as much as I can. But I'm here to for this industry. I love what I do. I love, you know, our friendship and, um, you know, it's been a long friendship. It's amazing. So thank you for having me on today. Thank you to every farmer producer that works tirelessly to support this country in the backbone of this country. And thank you to every chef 
that gets into this industry and creates memories, creates those those moments that our diners, our customers love each and every day. Be proud of who you are. Uh, be proud of what you do and um, stay passionate. That's the best thing I can say. Stay passionate. And if you're losing that passion, I'm here to talk to you as well. Thank you. No, thank you. Well, thank you so much for tuning in with us today. We really hope you enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed the conversation. You'll find links to anything mentioned in today's chat in the show notes. We have some more extraordinary guests lined up and we would love you to join us again. So please make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss future episodes. We'd also love to hear any of your feedback, good or bad, or perhaps you've got a guest you'd love to hear from. You can let us know. And the best way to stay up to date with what we're doing, who we're talking to, and where you'll find us around the country is to become part of the Straight to the Source community at straighttothesource.com.au forward slash community. Until next time.